0: Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 286, recorded May 31st, 2022. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Akin. And this episode is brought to you by us. If you're looking to learn Python, check out all the courses over at Talk Python Training. If you want to get better with testing, check out Brian's PyTest book, second edition. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, let's jump right into it, Brian. Okay, uh, tell actually, me about the Gill.
1: <laughs> well, I, I do want to talk about the Gill, but I was just realizing that we're at two eighty six. I just started watching uh, Big Bang Theory with my youngest kid, and um, and there's two hundred and seventy nine episodes of them. So we're we have more than it went on forever,
0: and we have more episodes than them. So that's it's quite the milestone. I mean, you, you divide that by fifty two, that's a lot of years. We've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Um, so uh, Python
1: and the gill so the gill is a thing right it's like something everybody knows about i think people know about but not too much so i mean you kind of it means we can't do multiprocessing, but we can but we can't so what is it um and so i really like this article so this is um uh this is an article called the python gill past present and future because we have been talking about some of the no gill options that are coming and um so this is really nice it's um who is it? Gary, uh, Barry Warsaw and, uh, Pavel Polowicz, I think. Anyway, uh, really great article on, uh, the backblaze, uh, blog. And it starts out and, and goes through, um, sort of what is the gill, uh, why we have it. It's a lot around, um, the way in, and some of the history is around uh, reference counting. And maybe you knew that off the top of your head, but I forgot, um, that reference counting is something, that's how we do memory management and all sorts of stuff within within uh, Python. But to make it an easy implementation, there's this global interpreter lock. Um, and that just basically, instead of lock like other code, you lock uh, individual items shared memory that you're using. We just say the interpreter, let's just lock that and all of the variables that it uses. Um, it's not just uh, uh, reference counts, but other things too. And in the, this is just, it's a fairly quick read, but uh, but enough detail that you really kind of understand what's going on. Uh, it does talk through, um, you know, reference counting, uh, talks through that, that um, uh, some of the advantages, why it's really kind of handy to have it around, but then attempts to remove it in including, like, I didn't know about this one. There was a free threading one Ooh. in 99. From
0: 1999. Yeah, yeah that's... I didn't know about that one. Yeah,
1: it actually was successful. It just made your Python code really slow. So um, not good. And then Larry Hastings' galactomy, he's had a lot of uh, PyCon talks or a few PyCon talks around this. So um, uh, that's that's an interesting thing to read about. There's a little more, there's quite a few interesting bits in there, but it never really got back into main Python. But we're getting a little closer where with this no gill stuff so there's no gill stuff going on with um sam gross from sam gross yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh and and then also <laughs> and then also we've got guido and others in uh in microsoft now working on this problem of speeding it up and 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 everything so really great discussion if you want to catch up on all the history of the of the gill and where where it's going. Um, And then a little prediction at the end of um, we're going to see speed ups because of these efforts. We're going to see speed ups in the next few years. Just, it's just going to get faster. And then um, we, you know, if we get no gill, it might be maybe five years from now. ish. So,
0: yeah, it's pretty exciting. There's some very neat work. The stuff that Sam Gross is doing is, is quite interesting. Yeah. What's really cool is it's not just theory or people playing, right? The. Python 3.11 is a lot faster than the previous Pythons already. And it doesn't even really touch the GIL side of things. So there's actual progress being made.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's it's actually, it's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting time to be part of uh, part of Python. So like it, it's never not been exciting, but
0: you know. Yeah. But, it, it only gets more exciting. How's that? Yeah. Uh, so. Hey, let me ask you a meta question. So this is on the Backblaze blog. So Backblaze.com is a, one of the, I think better sort of back up my computer somewhere offsite sort okay. of things. Yeah. And the fact that they're blogging about the Python Gill is kind of interesting. I wonder if they're a big Python shop and we just didn't know it. Well, uh,
1: there's like, I didn't know it's on their blog, but I mean, we've got uh,
0: Barry Warsaw in it's, there. It's written by Barry Warsaw and Powell. Yeah. Are, so
1: are they, is he, he's, uh, he says he's currently a senior engineer at
0: LinkedIn. So yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Sometimes life's confusing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> not sure how this <laughs> ended up there, but
0: yeah. No, but it's cool to see Backblaze uh, supporting the Python world with some some dives into the... Yeah, maybe somebody from Backblaze can reach out to us and tell us what's going on. So. Yeah, that'd be great. Also great, wouldn't it be cool, Brian, if we could take our Python program, whether this is a CLI or some other app that we need to have uh, for people to run, and instead of saying, well, make sure you have this version of Python at least to make sure you've set up a virtual environment, you've installed these things, and then you've got this in the path, and then you've got this environment variable, now you can try to run our thing I gave you. Yeah. If you could just give them a single binary that contained all the Python, contained the standard library, and you said you run this, and that's your app. That's not bad, right? Yeah. So let me introduce you to PyOxy, the PyOxy Python runner. Now, a while ago, we spoke about this thing called um, PyOxygen Pyox, uh, no, Pyoxidizer. That's what it was. Pyoxidizer, and this is kind of like an advanced version of Py2exe or, Py2 or py to app or PyInstaller. But what's really nice is that it bundles the stuff up, just sort of all into one thing, and it runs out of memory instead of creating like a, a file structure of the files that you need, and then you know, sort of altering the path. So like a copy of Python will run that and so on. So this PyOxy attempts to make the features of PyOxidizer more accessible and simpler for people. Okay. Okay. So here's the deal. It is an executable program for running Python interpreters. So you can just give somebody this one PyOxy file and they can, instead of saying Python this, they can say PyOxy some Python file, right? You can say like run Python or run Python dash dash and give it a file or something along those lines, right? And it's just a thing you copy around. You don't have to worry about installing it or configuring your system or anything like that. So it's kind of a really easy way to pass around an executable that is Python and the standard library without all the overhead or setup of actually installing a Python runtime. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so let me go back up here. That's pretty cool. That's one. Of, it's a, a single file. It's in a, a single file that is a highly portable distribution of C Python. So, for example, on macOS and Linux, it statically links in a lot of the files that are dependencies that you might find. You know, so if you try to run something in Python, it might go like, "Oh, you have to install this other like C library in order for it to work correctly." So, all those things are also like its dependencies are statically compiled into it, which is pretty cool. Another thing that's interesting is it gives you a lot more control over the interpreter and how it behaves. Like you can pass it configuration files and do all sorts of crazy stuff to really tweak the behavior of the runtime, the Python runtime that it comes with. Yeah. And it's just to sort of make PyOxidizer apps more accessible. Okay, so yeah. So it gives you it's built with PyOXidizer and basically it gives you its own standalone one. Like I said, the it has the whole interpreter, it has the stuff statically linked. It has the standard library. And I think you can link your own libraries into it as well, which is pretty awesome. And you could also give it, like I said, more control. So you can create a configuration YAML file. And when you run it, you can say, I want you to debug allocations, or I want you to, you know, run, run this command to initialize the interpreter before it starts to run any code and things like that. So you can give it this um, YAML config file and, and so on. So Anyway, it's a a pretty new project. This is from Gregory Sork. And he says, it's very young. I hacked it together to try to get better exposure for Pi oxidizer for people who want to build things that they can distribute more easily and so on. And for me, he's talking about, oh, uh, there's some certain circumstances where maybe you want to have people run your script so you can send the script and then this thing and so on. Uh, It's supposed to be sort of on par with Zip app which lets you ship the zipped up thing of your app and then run it. But the benefit is it already comes with Python. Like a lot of these zip, shiv, pecs, et cetera, they all require that Python is installed on the system. Mm -hmm. And then you can run that, right? With its dependencies. But this is like, no, it even comes with Python. So all that is uh, pretty good. What I would love to see out of this is, could I take this and build some sort of UI framework here that, I don't know, maybe with um, Pyscript, and then get like a, a UI framework I can ship to people and just go download this, double click it. There's your app. Who knows? Yeah. But anyway, it's if you're shipping Python to people, this might be worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Kim out in the audience asks, uh, it, says, it looks very handy. Does it make cross-platform uh, a cross-platform executable? I think you might have to run a build command or something, or, or ship the right binary for each platform. But it does support. Mac OS, Windows, and Linux. So that's pretty cool.
1: Now, um, maybe you covered this and I just missed it. Um, What does it, does it deal with my dependencies? Like if I have third-party dependencies?
0: That's what I'm not 100% sure how to do. And I looked through it. I was looking for that. There's this oxidized importer. Okay. Which it talks about like this embeds a copy of the Python standard library and it imports from memory using the oxidized importer. I think that you could use that as well for your own dependencies. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that's the goal of this this PyOxidizer project in the first place. So I would think so, but nothing from this article was like really clear. Yeah. Like, and here's how you bring in requests or HTTPX or whatever you're going to bring along. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So or
1: Pytest. Um, I was actually just thinking if I, you know, run these tests. Well, what what version are you using? Okay, just fine. Here, just install this and run 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 this tests with this and that would be Yeah,
0: great. exactly. Yeah. And Alvaro is yeah, you know, when I was talking about UI stuff, he says, what about PyOxy plus textual? Yeah, <laughs> That'd be pretty neat yeah. as well. Yeah. Just Maybe. around the corner. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Well nice. That's PyOxy. People can check it out.
1: All right. Um well, um, how <laughs> how about regular expressions? Do you like those?
0: <laughs> uh when they work (laughs) i love them um (laughs) when they don't i'm like what is what is this madness i've gotten myself into?" okay
1: so i was almost afraid to like talk about this but it's a really awesome article because because sometimes you need regular expressions and um and one of the things there's lots of that i like about this article what i'm talking about is an article called um uh the unreasonable effectiveness of f strings and verbose um so uh Regular expressions and all languages, including I think, and including Python, have um, have a notion of, of verbose mode. And I've always been enticed by this. The verbose mode idea is that you can, like, instead of having this weird, you you still have the hard to read uh, regular expression stuff, but you can put comment, you can put spaces and comments in it, and uh, and then exploit. and it could be
0: multi line, right? What? It can be multi-line. Yeah,
1: it can be multi-line and you can have a bunch of uh, comments in there to say, oh, this part of the regular expression, what it's doing is this. Um, you know, uh, and then, so it makes it little little snippets of regular expression are easier to read. You're like, oh yeah, I can see that it's doing that. Great. When It's when you clog it all together, which makes it really hard to read. So, um, and, then, and then, of course, you can build up strings in Python with f-strings, and do string replacement. How awesome! So that's what this article is about: is really talking about uh, using, um, uh, de- taking some of the complicated bits of your regular expression or duplicated bits where you, it needs, shows up several times in your regular expression, and pulling that out, that string out, and even maybe commenting that, and then uh, dropping it in with uh, f strings to build up a complex regular expression. It's it's brilliant and. It also is one of the best explanations I've ever read on on uh, verbose uh, regular expressions. So it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I never really thought to refactor the pattern so that you have multiple strings. Yeah. we like, here's the part that's repeated, so we will have a pattern that that's that thing, and then F string it into the other pieces. Yeah. Um, but it makes perfect sense. Of course you should do it. <laughs> yeah, and now, I mean, I don't use it. I mean, actually, I kind of do.
1: I use regular expressions on a regular basis. Um but um uh the but not like every day it but but it's always something that i whenever i put it in there i'm like is anybody else going to re- be able to read this and so i put comments around it but i've never i haven't ever really br- embraced verbose mode and i'm definitely going to use this now
0: yeah to, to for sure it, so. the the other thing real quick is you can have f strings and you can have raw strings and you can have raw f strings apparently in python so oh. the prefix is fr triple quote multi line like that's that's <laughs> some serious string action happening right there man yeah um raw f strings nice so, <laughs> yeah yeah and um Neil out in the audience asks you Brian do you like your regular expressions greedy or non-greedy <sighs> okay I, I it depends <laughs> on what you're trying to do so yeah I, I don't want mine to be greedy let's share share <laughs> share kindly all right are we ready for the next one yes Cool. All right. So this one I want to talk about. And I'm going to start off from a weird place, from a tweet that I gave because I can't find anywhere else to talk about it. Like This is why this needs talking about. So I just want to sort of highlight some really cool stuff for people who are using PyCharm and doing open source stuff that involves pull requests. And these could be pull requests to your private repo, like one team member gave a PR back to the repo. It doesn't have to be open, open source. Okay. So, if you're using PyCharm, check this out. Let me pull up this screen. Come on. Oh, I'm not logged in. Oh, there we go. I oh, thought it might not. Let me get the image up. Anyway, so check this out. So, people are probably familiar with the the Git support in PyCharm. You know, VS Code, PyCharm. They all have really good Git support. You can see your changes. A lot of times, you have this um, sort of over, this gray little over, overlay that says who recently. E- edited a file or a line. It's really cool to go back with like GitLens turned on for CPython, because you'll see stuff from like 30 years ago. Guido made this commit, and here was the commit message. You're like, what? This is crazy, right? But working with PRs is one of the things that doesn't normally seem to fit. And so I don't know when this got in there, but not too recently. There's now a pull request tab. So if you open a GitHub repository, if you're logged in to GitHub, and that GitHub repository has a pull request. And you open up this section. It gives you a list of all the open, and I guess maybe you can toggle it closed as well, but all the lists of the open pull requests. Hmm. If you click on one of them, it'll show you all the details of the pull request, the whole conversation if you click on that, who's the reviewer, you can change that, who's, unassi- uh, who's it assigned to, whether there's labels, whether it's been merged. Wow. And then like on the right, you have this whole conversation. You can see sort of the flow this person commented this and they made these few more changes then they commented again here this is all really pretty neat but the thing that is noteworthy the reason i brought this up is there's a button that says check out so instead of trying to create a branch or fork their repo and check in like you just i don't know where this repo or this pr came from or what branch it was against i just want to check it out and run it locally run the test against it see what it looks like yeah go isn't that awesome yeah that is really really awesome I like it, yeah. Because normally you're juggling a lot. Maybe you have CI continuous integration that tells you like the linting pass, but other times you want to actually just get it and run it and play with it and decide. You know, did this make the code slower? Did it make it faster? Do I like how like the result of this feature looks? You know, especially if it's like a UI thing or something, right? Yeah. So I think this is this is super cool. And the reason I bring it up is there's like nowhere in the documentation. Like if you go over to PyCharm here and you look for pull requests. There's, they don't even mention this, right? So I don't think people necessarily know about this. Like, um, it it's seems a stealth feature. It's a stealth feature. It seems totally worth uh, highlighting because dealing yeah. with PRs in that way is actually kind of janky, right? It's like it takes a little bit of um, understanding. Get maybe more than and GitHub more than a lot of people would off the bat. So if you just go click, check out, play with it. Nope, <laughs> I don't want it or yes, I love it. That's I think that's great. I would still actually manage the PR and GitHub but the ability to like explore it super quick and easy uh, within your project, I think is super cool.
1: Yeah. And quickly grab the code because I've, I've, I mean, I know in GitHub you, you can get it, you can clone their branch and
0: yeah, exactly. But, but it's hard. It's like not it's super not, easy. Right? It's
1: just, it's several clicks at least to find it.
0: And yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Right. Cool. And do you actually want it cloned to your, your account? Maybe not. I just want to check out the code, you know, like, so grab the right uh, commit um, hash, or SHA, whatever. Yeah. Um, also, really quick, while we're on this topic, I just want to give a quick shout out to this. So if you go to just the jetbrains.com slash PyCharm right now across the top, there's this, oh, here, there's this cool uh, upcoming webinar, 10 things, 10 get things you wish you knew in PyCharm. Very oddly, that that is me. <laughs> so anyway, if you want to, I'm going to do a, a webcast uh, next week on June 7th oh, nice. about a whole bunch of get fun things in PyCharm and UI tools and whatnot. So if people want to check that out, they definitely can. Cool. Yeah. All right. So that's it for my thing though. Check out, if you're using PyCharm, use, check out this pull request thing. It's even in the free version of PyCharm. So it's it's worth noting. Nice. Huh. Uh, let's see a really, really quick uh, real-time follow-up. Roman Wright, hey Roman, says, yes, it helps me sort out PRs so much. I totally agree. And then Wolf says, is it available in IntelliJ and does it work with GitLab? I don't know if it works with GitLab. I'm quite sure it's available in IntelliJ in IntelliJ cuz like PyCharm is just basically specialized IntelliJ. So I'd I'd be very surprised if it weren't available in IntelliJ, but I I can't say sh- for sure in GitLab. I would check the documentation, but I also can't find that. So Um <laughs>
1: anyway, so uh, on <laughs> yeah. the PyCharm side, there's isn't there supposed
0: to like a new some UI changes that happened recently or you know? Uh- Anyway. Possibly. Uh, one of the things that changed recently that was, uh, I actually kept stumbling into is that like on the Git stuff is they have little overlays of who made changes when, kind of like that Git lens from VS Code I described. Yeah. They started adding that and I kept clicking it by accident, trying to click on the line. So that's I'm like, why does it keep popping up a diff? Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of crashed into it, but yeah. Okay. Anyway, if you're doing PRs, check this out. Uh, if you're doing PRs and using Pajar, check this out. It's definitely useful.
1: All right. Well- so uh we have no guests so that's our items for today, right? It so. is. It is. Well, we
0: would be remiss to not have extras though. Of course. So <laughs> Yeah, uh, you want to do the extras first? Your extras first? Sure. Um I just got one. Um so the
1: uh, it was a a uh, couple weeks ago. Uh, we I think we talked about um uh, about Panda's tutor uh switching to uh Pyodide, I think. Mm-hmm. Um Yep. Um, so there's a there's an article that came out on the Piadide blog, um that is uh panda about pandas tutors switching to uh or Piadide. Piadide? Piadide. Uh and so uh one of the, the reason why I bring it up is because there's some cool stuff in here. It's uh it's not just hey, we did this, but it's also why did we do it and kind of walking through some of the stuff, how they so did a self self-contained pandas tutor wheel. Um you know, uh, dealing with JavaScript and imports and all that sort of stuff and the fine tuning and what work has to go further. So, other people that are like, hey, this Pyodide actually proof of concept, it's starting to look cool. I
0: want to do this too.
1: This might be a nice thing for people to check out. So,
0: yeah, this is super nice. And I, I definitely think the what are the rough edges and what work really well, those types of lessons for now are going to be really valuable for people trying to adopt this. Yeah. Well,
1: that's all my extras. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, let's just make it a, a straight run for Pi Iodine Pi Script right out. <laughs> so last week I did two videos on Pi Script, which is based on Pi Iodine Pi Iodine as well. So first one is a thirty minutes video. I sort of hinted that I was working on this, but remember I said it wasn't quite released yet, Brian. Yeah. Uh, last episode. So now it's out. So now you can check out. I'll link to it. You can check out my thirty minute. Python, PyScript, WebAssembly, Python web apps running locally, which is super fun. It's all about not just, you know, let's, like, take some Python and put it in the browser, but how can you use some, like, PyDash config settings to override where PyScript actually comes from, So the Pyodide, the runtime comes from, so you can, like, put that locally in your app and then download it offline and all sorts of fun stuff there. Cool. So basically building an offline progressive web app that is, like, can be... Almost 100% offline. This one calls an API, so it still needs its API. Anyway, that was really fun. And then the next day after releasing that, it occurred to me, do you know what supports progressive web apps? iOS and Android. So I created a second video called Python iOS Web Apps with PyScript and offline PWAs. And so here is, uh, if you're looking at the screen, there's a, on my iPad, there is a web app that runs PyScript talking to a Flask-based API over the internet and it is basically you can go up and basically say install this as an app on my iPad and when you launch it that install process already down downloads the WebAssembly and the run the standard library and all the WebAssembly <laughs> stuff that makes it large so you just boom and it opens up within like less than two seconds running Python client-side on iOS. That is so cool. Um, I'm seeing lots yeah. of uses for this. I mean, people could do uh, like
1: dashboards of, of pipelines and all sorts of stuff and have them be on tablets yeah. now.
0: So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it, once you've already made it a progressive web app, it's like a few button clicks. Like this whole video about this iOS thing with like setting the stage and everything is, it's three minutes. So, I mean, it's not a hard process to make it happen, but it's just not obvious. And it's really cool that it works that way. Cool. Yeah. All right, well, um, that's it for my items. I do have a joke. Nice. If you, And I know you might have a joke as well. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, I'll go with mine first because mine's easy. And then I have a bonus joke for you based on your topic that I didn't didn't see coming. Okay. okay. so this one comes from Brian Skin. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I just sort of pointed out a, a joke from Seth. And it says, people around here just dangerously throwing around SQL abstraction layers and if we aren't careful, someone's going to lose an arm. An O R M. It's pretty good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: it's really good. Uh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> if you are careful, you can lose your arm
0: for good. Yes, and it'd still be still be all right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so here here's the here's the real time joke uh follow up that uh based on your your um, Okay. Regex one. Ask me why I'm looking like this. Why? Well, that's just my regular expression. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. It's really bad. All right. I wish I had somebody in
1: my life I could share that with other than you. Uh, anyway. Okay. Yeah,
0: if other people listen to the show, we could share it with them. Okay. Too.
1: So uh, the there's like all sorts of AI and stuff going into uh, code editors now that make them like do all sorts of stuff to help you out. Right. So right. <laughs> this is uh, um, Kermit the Frog looking out uh, of a rainy window. It's when you've barely started writing a line of code. And your IDE already lets you know about three syntax errors, two runtime errors, a grammar mistake, five misdemeanors, contempt of court, and treason.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just just getting started. Why is it so hard? (laughs) I love it. That's really good. Anyway. Yeah, I kind of felt that way today. I was was playing around with some stuff. I'm just like, what is good? This is over the top, this thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, but
0: no, good. I'm glad uh, editors can help us
1: out. But sometimes I feel like an idiot. So, yes. Anyway. Indeed.
0: Well, great being here with you.
1: Good being here with you. Indeed. Thanks everybody for coming. Bye everyone. Thanks for being here. Bye. See you next time.